Hi, you're listening to the Modern Club Management Podcast with me, your host, Ed Chapman. This podcast takes the lived experiences and knowledge of some of the leading figures and thinkers from the world of club management and beyond, all so that they can become your teacher and elevate your performance. Whether you're looking to start a career in club management, are a seasoned club manager at a world-leading club, or work elsewhere within this wonderful industry, there will be powerful messages and key takeaways that can help you in your career or personal life. Thank you for tuning in, and I hope you enjoy today's episode. Hi, and welcome to the Modern Club Management Podcast with me, your host, Ed Chapman. Today, I'm really excited to welcome back Richard Pennell to the conversation. Richard, how are you? Very well, Ed. Thank you. Lovely to see you from the other side of the world. Good to catch up. Likewise. Likewise. Yeah, it's nice to catch up and and have a chat again. So you've, I know this conversation is not going to be entirely about this, but what's kind of prompted it is you releasing a book called Grassroots. So I'd love you to just to touch base a little bit on what the book's about for the people who haven't heard about it or seen it. And then we'll dive into some topics after that. Yeah, thanks, Ed. Yeah, so um, Grassroots is uh, a collection of blog posts, really. Uh, There's a few new bits in there, but they're blog posts over the last sort of 18 months of having some spare time, diving back into playing golf, and quite a lot about the journey of um, heading to new places and and exploring new experiences. And um, as you know, and we talked about last time, we both of us had the opportunity to have some time away from work um, and, you know, sort of intentional sabbatical period. And a lot of that for me was I'd lost my mojo work-wise, but also I I just wasn't playing golf. And I've played golf for a long time. It's been sort of central to my life for 30-odd years. And I wanted to dive back in. And um, so Grassroots... It's published by Grant Books, which I'm absolutely thrilled with the way they've pulled it together and gorgeous photos in there from lots of kind people. And um, I, I, it's sort of a it's a journey through the, the last 18 months, really, of discovering places like Cleve Hill and Minchinhampton Old and just getting back to the roots of the game and, and how integral they are to who I am really so it's um it's magical you can't quite sit well yeah actually you can see Ed just in the corner under that lampshade there's there's quite a few books yeah they came on a pallet which was fairly amusing for me I didn't know how they'd arrive (laughs) but um uh there it it's something I dreamt about for a very long time when we started connecting in our um respective sabbatical periods uh, I was starting to do the writing and when we, we went and played a couple of times, um, uh, you could probably tell it's been something that's been festering beneath the surface for me for a long time. It's something I'm passionate about. I love doing it and and to have someone kindly collect the things together and, and publish a book for me is a, a dream come true, really. So, yeah, really enjoying it. And there's it smells amazing. Have you got yours? <laughs> I have. It arrived uh, yesterday. So I've opened it up, haven't had a chance to dive into it too deeply, but I am looking forward to I flick through the photos. And as you said, there's some stunning images there. So I'm, I'm at work. So having followed your writing since you started releasing your blog, I'm very excited to dive into the book. Yeah. Oh, thank you. Hope you enjoy it. It's, uh, and, you know, we were talking before we started recording about a podcast and how you pick out different things what's been interesting for me is we've got some lovely feedback and golf and this sort of golf that I enjoy um which isn't too serious but it's uh, interested in the great outdoors and ecology and architecture the people pick up different bits and and tag on to different bits in the book and that's really lovely so it might be that they go and uh they decide to change their travel plans and play somewhere they hadn't heard of before which i'm perpetually doing or it might be just reminding them as our mutual friend um and reminding them of his spiritual home in rye from the other side of the world so it's been just been lovely seeing people engage with it and enjoy it um yeah humbling too but yeah great fun mm. 
No, good. I mean, yeah, golf. Golf's an amazing sport that brings people together from across the world, and then writing brings things to life to people as well. So to be able to combine both those passions, and as you said, regaining that passion is such a big thing. I think all people who have worked long enough in the golf industry at some point lose their passion for the game. Often it's down to you're at the golf club every day. The last thing you want to do is then go and play golf. Um, I've certainly gone through that. And much like yourself in that sabbatical period, I refound my joy of the game from getting out there, just playing socially. And yeah, it's, it is such a great sport. I think it's sad when people in the industry become a bit, maybe bitter can be the right word, I think, mm. for their attitudes and thinking towards the game that, most people who work in the golf industry as a career, they got into it because they love the game. Yeah. And it's something that you actually have to work at. In that sense, maybe it's a bit like a marriage. You know, you have to work at a marriage to make it successful over the long term. Yeah. Well, just because you started playing golf and you're passionate about it and enjoyed it, and now you work in it as a career, you actually need to work at staying in love with the sport. Yeah. by getting out there playing golf making time with friends to go and play as well i think that's something which you know, what you've been through getting out playing and doing this is is a good example of yeah the importance of maintaining that or rekindling that passion for the game yeah yeah and thinking back to you know jobs i've had in the past where um I wasn't playing enough. You know, it's, it's actually really important. And I get that it feels awkward and I felt awkward about it. It was really important to not only spread your wings and go and play other places because you always come back having noticed some, some, probably some good things and some bad that you can apply to your own management at home. But um, you also, I mean, it's so important to play your own facility. And I get that it's mm. not that easy for some people to do that, but you're far more in touch with the experience that your golfers, members, visitors, whoever it is, are having. Um, and, uh, you know, it's too easy to be glued to the desk and buried under paperwork, and that's where I was, and that's where the sabbatical came from, really. But, um, yeah, I I've, I think I've well and truly got the um, – it's got his hooks back into me, Ed. I'm just uh, – you know, and the bucket list is growing because people are picking up on – the sort of stuff I like and suggesting other places. And, you know, I'm going through tires on the camper van, like you wouldn't believe. So, <laughs> uh, Some good courses in New Zealand. You'll have to add to your list sometime then. Yeah. 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 I can't wait. So with your sabbatical then, um, and obviously I went for a similar thing. What, what did you find were, what, what was it about having that time that made you rethink I guess you're maybe your approach to to life, maybe if it was anything as as deep as that. Uh, and what what habits did you create in that time that that you've tried to keep going with now, and that you find helps you? Well, I I just um, my my passion. My I, I found I was getting up and not wanting to go into work, and that's just. You know, that's not good for anyone. It's no good for the employer. Um, and so I intentionally took time out without any plan. And that's a bit scary when you, you know, you've got a mortgage to pay and wife and kids. Um, but I pretty much didn't work for six months. And um, I was determined in the first three months, which is when we started meeting up and playing golf, mm. that I, I wouldn't commit to anything and I wouldn't look at jobs in that time because I wasn't sure if I wanted to carry on working in golf. So that was key for me. Which direction do I want to go in? Um, and just taking time for that decision to percolate or those thoughts to percolate. So we talked about um, meditation last time. I, I you know, I did build and I, I still have going fairly strongly a daily meditation habit. And that's, you know, it's more important than almost anything else in my life. Although even today it feels a bit woo woo to say that, but I operate with so much clarity when I've been sitting um, still. Uh, it helps me make decisions. It helps me 
um, keep on top of things really and and I can feel that I'm calmer and um, uh, just a little bit less daft when I'm doing that so that that was something pivotal for me and so in those first two or three months I I did some brainstorming around what I really enjoyed and I had started writing and I'd done a bit of writing uh, at the club I was at during covid sort of lockdown letters for the members every day for the first two lockdowns so it was about I don't know 60 odd daily missives and I really loved the buzz of the deadline there and getting up and writing so I was, I, I had in mind that that had to play into it somewhere but everyone I asked uh, gave me the sage advice that you you'll never make any money writing about golf and they're probably not that far off but um it didn't really matter I realized that money's not a huge motivator for me and it got to the point where I was doing a job because I needed the money at the end of the month so that didn't feel although you know that's what lots of us do um maybe most of us do I'd got into golf because I loved the game that that had disappeared and there were these other things that I was neglecting like writing like playing like traveling a bit um that were just you know they're being relegated and neglected um so it was really just stopping uh and trying to look for some answers to the question why and um over time that sort of started to turn out to be well i i do love writing and i do love golf i've i've rediscovered my love of the game and those two are linked so uh, the sort of mindfulness element of walking lots and meditating uh, and writing, looking for details. So I might write a blog post about our time at Northamptonshire County or whatever. Uh, it just brought me back to the present. And I, I was more, I felt more in touch with the conversations that we were having and I was having with other people. I felt more able to notice the seasons changing around me and the wind and, and the nuance of the golf courses and yeah around here I'm sure it's the same where you are but it, there's a ridiculous wealth of quality golf courses around here and people travel across the Atlantic to come visit them so yeah. I'm just so blessed to have access to those and to be able to have used those as my um, playground really for these three to six months of um, exploration quite a long answer there ed i'm sure sorry you, you know me well enough by now that you you can just hold your hand up if you had enough at any stage so i just put that as a normal length answer that's okay okay um i think one, uh, one thing you touched on there was that feeling of waking up and not going not wanting to go to work and, and that's certainly what I, i'd had in the past before my my sabbatical and it's an interesting one because i love going to work and it wasn't until well after that time that I actually realized that was, I couldn't understand it, hmm. why I didn't want to go to work when I woke up. And I just assumed there's something wrong, wrong with me um, with that. But I think for anyone who's listening and has felt like that or feel like that, it's just one of the main symptoms of burnout, hmm. which I think before I had it, I kind of just probably felt it was one of those throwaway terms like homesickness, like, oh, come on, really homesickness. Um, but because it's, it's down to, you know, chemical reactions in your brain, you don't have that much control over these things coming in. It's then just how you, how you try and battle past them. And I certainly, meditation helped a lot. And I think the thing I find of it still now is that, I'm one of those people that I wake up, I'm instantly wide awake, my brain's going. Yeah. And if I just go with that and then within 10 minutes being awake, go on my phone, check emails, it's really easy to go down that route. Hmm. Just terrible way of going about it. And the difference I find for me is that when I do meditate as the first thing I do in the morning, that calmness I have then through the day, as you're saying, about being scattered, kind of scatterbrain that goes with it uh, I think it's it's hard to, for me to kind of undersell just how or oversell how important that is for me uh, and was for me um, in those times when you're 
questioning what, whether you what you're doing is right yeah yeah you're sort of priming yourself to go through the day mm. in a thoughtful manner we share a love of the stoics and the um sort of ancient philosophies but there's nothing new in those fields it's kind of you know mm. gaining control of yourself and and having an open view on things and just yeah yeah having so a great friend of mine um who i met during this period um on a golf course and he's become sort of a mentor and he he helps me with uh, meditative stuff um he's just become a great friend and supporter and and um yeah someone very special um he he talks about breaks making you go faster and he's sort of play, it's a play on words so he's talking about you know if, if you're driving a car and you know the brakes work well then you can drive a bit faster because you know you can stop but he's also talking about the importance of downtime and um uh yeah not everyone can take a sabbatical i'm not sure i could really but i did and i'm glad i did but um just breaks you know even if it's in your day just get up out of the desk and, and walk around the block for 10 minutes or walk around the clubhouse or the golf course whatever it is wherever you are that is just a reset physically and mentally and um i found taking a big break just made me so determined to whatever you know however my work going forward whether it's golf or writing or a hybrid of the two as it is at the moment just protecting that um space to reflect and debrief and it's all the stuff we've learned in the education pathways we've shared ed but uh, in practice when there's stuff coming your way at 100 miles an hour it's very easy to forget those i think what you've hit there just having morning routines that set the stage for how you're going to be thoughtful through your day are just pivotal to good performance in anything really you know managing a club or playing golf it's you know you set your intentions and you're um careful and thoughtful about how you go about things you're you're making it easier for yourself i think mm, yeah definitely and when it comes to putting yourself out there to write a blog and a book um i guess in some way similar to a podcast you're having to put who you are out there on paper or an audio format what what was the th what made you take that first step i mean so for me i emailed a couple of people to say would you like to come on a podcast that i'm doing and they said yes yeah so then i kind of had to start my podcast um it was that kind of I wanted to do it, but I almost needed that reason to actually do it. Um, yeah. I want someone to say yes. Yeah. So, there's something about fear there for me, I think, and the importance of stretching ourselves and putting ourselves out there. And the comfort zone is a, it's hardwired into us. Um, but I, so someone agreed to, published one of my articles and I just thought oh well that, that's that's too good an opportunity to miss because it's going to go to x thousand people this blog on their mailing list I need mm. something to follow it up so I've been sort of writing stuff but keeping it to myself because I was I was a bit scared of what people think and you know here we are two years later I guess still when I post something I'm not sure how it's going to go down and there's a bit of me that does want to know what the feedback's like but I'm slowly learning that it doesn't really matter I need to do this for my own self and put stuff out there when I'm happy with it and some of it will work for some people and some of it won't but yeah there, there's um I'm sure you were the same with the first one or two I keep meaning to ask you about this actually but um it's once you've started the ball rolling, I think it's so much easier. Um, and I've had a couple of spells. And one was when I was editing grassroots and getting the photos in and stuff where I sort of stopped the blog for about, I don't know, six weeks or something. Mm. And I was doing a little bit of personal writing and journaling and stuff, but nothing for anyone to read. And I found it really hard to start again. So I was like, I don't, mm. I don't know. I just streaks are really important to me. We might talk about habits and stuff in a minute, but um, mm. uh, streaks and you know, it's like golf. If you if you've practiced twice in the previous week, you're more likely to go and hit a few balls today because mm. and and 
working out is like that. And I, I just seem to work well with streaks because it takes away the decision making thing and decision fatigue kicks in pretty early mm. for me. So that the more disciplined I can be about stuff, the easier mm. it seems to flow. I do think everybody should write and either start a, even if start a podcast, even if it's just actually just essentially interviewing maybe your family, your parents could be to get some interesting stories from them and recording it, even if you don't actually publish it. Because I know for me, my not even just not even public speaking, just my day to day speaking to people, having conversations, the quality of how I speak is so much better hmm. since doing the podcast, because when you have to sit and listen to yourself talk for 45 minutes on a podcast to edit it, you suddenly realize what inadequacies you have in how you talk to then stop them. If you go back and listen to my first episodes, you'll notice that I start almost every sentence with so, and then I go into the sentence and it didn't take me very long listening to that for it to absolutely irritate the crap out of me to then go, well, I can't do that anymore because if I've got to listen to myself and edit it, I can't listen to myself doing that. And now generally speaking, I don't ever start with that, but if I do, it's incredibly obvious to me because I'm so aware of it now. Yeah. Same with ums and ers, just by being aware that of them and being conscious to change that habit, you then start to notice that. And then I'm sure it's similar of your writing, looking back from where you started to where you are now. And it's Seth Godin talks about feedback of different types of feedback. And I can't quite remember the precise details, but the two extremes would be the person who says, oh, your grammar was wrong or you made a spelling mistake. I like, know any idiot can give that feedback. That doesn't make that doesn't help you become a better writer. Hmm having, you know, some grammar snob or whatever it might be, who's upset that you got something like that wrong. It doesn't change the substance of what you write. Mm. Whereas somebody can give some real meaningful feedback on how you've constructed a paragraph or sentence and the meaning of how maybe you've rephrased it in a different manner would have a totally different message that feedback's invaluable yeah most people don't give that feedback most people say that comes in the wrong place yeah um i, I guess that's just comes from people who love finding error in everybody else because they're obviously so perfect at everything that that they do yeah yeah i know and just going back to your thing about uh saying so like i i listened to your first podcast and i didn't notice it so there, there's also a fine line between being too i may have edited them all out oh right you've got them stored somewhere they're on the outtakes file i, I might i might have edited them all out because they're annoying me so much there's a chance that happened oh, okay. but and as you say you can be most um successful or driven people are hypercritical of themselves yeah far more than other people would notice yeah which isn't terribly helpful i i think um writing publicly and sending stuff out has helped me just be a bit more relaxed about that stuff actually mm. over the time because you know i know there's my that i have similar idiosyncrasies in that you know but it tends to be overly nostalgic or or quite long sentences quite often i find reading my own writings really helpful a bit like you listening to edit your own stuff when you hear it out loud you can tell when the rhythm's off or whatever but um yeah yeah it's a learning curve isn't it and so seth gordon would say um just ship it you know nothing's perfect you're never going to get anything mm. perfect the trick is to just um keep delivering stuff and uh you learn with probably everyone that goes right and everyone that isn't quite right it's um oh yeah if you wait until it's perfect or it's a hundred percent oh you just never i would never have released a single podcast episode no you never get there. Not, not a single one will ever, will ever be perfect they'll be better and you're always striving them for them to be perfect as part of that journey but and that applies to to everything yeah 
one thing I'd like to discuss would be around focus, um, your writing process and how you go about that. The one thing I find for myself is I know the time of day that I'm most able to be productive and put high quality work into it. So when I do have things I want to achieve, I try and A, put it in that time period and B, I know I can't just spend hour after hour after hour uh, and, and be productive on that. So interesting to see how you how you approach that. Yeah. So I'm I'm like you. I just wake up and going back to greenkeeping days, my alarm goes off at five. It normally wakes me up um, occasionally up shortly before it, but that's my my sharp time. I'm downstairs and I have the way our life works here is I have until about half six um before other people start to stir in the house. So that is my time for writing, really. It's when I'm sharpest. I can read the stuff and edit it right through the morning into the early afternoon. Early afternoon onwards, I'm shot away. Um, so on my when I'm not doing my part-time job at West Byfleet Golf Club, on my days off, I will write um, until my attention goes flat or my... Uh, you know, until the sort of sparks gone, and I'll write even when it's not there because I think that's really important. That's the streak. You get, there's stuff I can do even when I know if I type a paragraph, I'm not going to like it because I'm not quite um, in the right space to do it. But I'll still. Stephen Pressfield calls it putting your ass where your heart wants to be, sitting in the chair and getting it out. So, so that's timing wise and i try and do i use pomodoro technique quite often when i remember when i'm writing so i'll do 25 minutes and just try and just be absolutely present there no messages coming in no distraction apart from coffee and um, then i'll stand up and go out and play with the kittens or just stretch my legs and then come back and do another 25 minutes five minutes later and you know it's not regimented but it i think it does help because it just um, just getting up and turning around and walking out of the room clears my clears my um, hard drive, I think, or um, just it yeah. reframes things, and I come back to it, and I can read through something again and see where it's you know not quite as smooth as I'd like it or whatever. Mm-hmm. Uh, and then planning wise, it's been quite interesting for me. I so um, the first bits of writing I did at the golf club during lockdown and then uh, early mornings in that period, early 2020 for about nine months, I was writing in the morning and I wrote a book there, which no one's seen yet, but um, I didn't plan it. I would get up and write and I love that feeling of it just kind of flowing. And some days it does. And some days, you know, even I, my own harshest critic think it's okay. Um, But, uh, I think it comes across that way a bit jumbled. So when I went back and I'm just starting to reread that book that sat in my drawer here and um, the chapter lengths aren't terribly good. And so I I gradually moved towards having a vague plan and some structure a bit like, a bit like I was talking about with um, habits and discipline. I have my parameters, Mm. so I'll split everything into, getting granular here ed sorry um i'll brainstorm it so i've got <laughs> okay. i've got one in front of me actually this you know i know you don't show this to the listeners but on the left yeah. is a brainstorm so i was at the addington not yeah. long ago and it, it blew my mind it's taken me about a month to work out what to write about it because it's such an amazing golf course and project yeah. so i'll brainstorm it and then on the right-hand side, another thing that Stephen Pressfield um, talks about is just having a very basic plan. So he says any piece of writing can is just one way of doing it, but it seems to work for me. Every, any piece of writing can be structured well with three acts. So I look at my brainstorm and try and connect the dots, see where the themes are, see what the mm. things that sort of mean the most to me are and how to connect them. And then I'll... I'll split it into three acts and try and find a common theme that goes through them, sometimes returning to the initial theme. Um, And also he talks about thinking about the tone. So not every piece of writing is the same. Some will be technical, like a, you know, proposal for a committee or whatever. 
some will be informative like a newsletter um and some should be more fun like you know the travel writing thing mm -hmm. i'm trying to evoke uh, a sense of what it's like to go to um i'm off to western girls and presswick um tomorrow and saturday and i just always wanted to go to them both and i cannot wait but I've, i have to take my notepad with me to capture the the stuff is more the stuff that surprises me mm -hmm. that I need to make a note of. And then this structure that Pressfield talks about is my way. He calls it full scat method. It's my way of trying to work out how I'm going to convey whatever it is I'm trying to say. Yeah. I think one thing I've always found works well for my own writing is if I try and separate writing or creating and editing Yeah, as two separate processes. Soon as often, as soon as I start editing a sentence or correcting some spelling mistakes, like I lose that flow of just writing what comes comes out because you don't, you know, you don't know where it comes from. It just it just comes out, and when you're in that flow, just write, 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 and then edit afterwards, and and keep those two two separate. Certainly, I find for me more useful more creative i love hearing you say that ed because like i feel awkward talking to people who aren't writing or aren't yet writing about that but it does we're just i think all art is a bit like that we're conduits for something and you have to just be there and let the um crappy first draft there's another word for it but mm -hmm. you let the crappy first draft come out yeah and editing takes up a different mindset so i quite like line editing mm. and, and tweaking the wording but heavy editing looking at structure and checking you know for commas and i see those a mile away in anyone else's writing by the way but i can't see them in my own i find that laborious and that that's that's what grammarly is for yeah yeah that's why grammarly was invented yeah absolutely i don't use it actually but i clearly ought to uh yeah yeah i think there's um i guess the key is whatever works for you when you're you know in the office or delivering an appraisal or recording a podcast or writing a book whatever works for you whatever process it is find out what that is and often that's mm. trial and error or listening to people asking and listening people who've done it before and stick to it um yeah. and there's there's so many different ways i could be writing and exploring writing and i am interested in the craft of creative work mm. um we must hit on Rick Rubin's book, Ed, at some point, because it's just, I think, it, have you read that yet? The Creative okay. Act. Oh, it's, no, um, I've heard him talk about the book on the podcast, but I've not yeah, read it Yeah, he was on every podcast on earth, I think, except yeah. yours, wouldn't he? He's, um, he's, it's a <laughs> fabulous book there. I mean, it's it's not just, it's just, how, it's a book about how to live, really. I think from the title, you'd think it's for, mm you know, being a big hitting record producer, but it's just the most amazing, amazing book about being open-minded and taking your time and letting stuff flow through you, all the stuff we're talking about. Um, yeah, yeah, fantastic. Yeah, and it's creating space for it. What? And I'm bad at this, I do not achieve this. And that's the other thing I think people think, they look at people who do have high output and think, Oh, they must just be always do a, doing everything perfect. I love Neil Gaiman's idea that when he does, when he's writing his books, he's out in his cabin and he can do two things. He can write or he can do nothing. Yeah. And doing nothing gets boring real quick. So you may as well just write. Isn't he amazing? Uh, and Neil Gaiman's just uh, amazing. The way he explains yeah. stuff. I can't tell you how jealous I was when you sent me an image that you'd been to the fountain pen hospital in new york after hearing him talk about it uh, yeah and that's a perfect example like using a fountain pen it's just such a it makes it a pleasure yeah to write and that's the thing as well you, these are things have got to be enjoyable and using the right quality of notebook that has the right paper thickness to then we use the same um, one and i we? use the same notebooks as you but i'm going to butch the pronunciation it's is it like to i'm glad you were attempting the pronunciation i'll just sit here and nod i think they're, they're gorgeous <laughs> we'll assume that's they're gorgeous they are they are they are and it, i like making notes when because of the enjoyable process of taking the pen and 
using the nice paper and writing the notes, it's a really enjoyable process to then do that, which then again, that helps you get lost in the process of doing it because you're enjoying writing as well. You're not, you're less likely to think about other things because actually it's just a nice experience um, within that as well. I think there's something, no one's put their finger on it, but lots of people I've heard talk about that there's something special about actually manually writing stuff down. You know, even if it's just in your private diary and no one's ever going to read it or you start keeping a journal. And actually that, you know, I'm I'm not as strong at keeping a daily journal at the moment because I've got other writing I need to do. But I, early in there, I've got a whole, batch of like terms right in front of me there if I've pronounced it right from that weird period when we went into lockdown in the UK mm-hmm. and I was juggling all sorts of things and work was you know getting quite admin heavy and we just lost interaction with people apart from on screens mm-hmm. and I journaled a lot in that time and then um, when I decided to move on from that job and take some time out, I reread some of those journals and it's really interesting how bit by bit, the things I was writing down there were starting to reveal things have been really important for me, to me for years and years. And I, you know, I don't think I'd said out loud to anyone that I wanted to, um, write publicly since I was 18 I just hidden it away and it comes through in those journals and I started to record how it felt to be doing this and have people like enjoying it and and interacting with it they had nothing else to do to be fair to them (laughs) they weren't even allowed to the shop yeah yeah yeah. Um, but um yeah but there's something in writing um with a pen and paper I think that just kind of enables you sort of deeper deeper Mm. stuff to flow out um, mm. And if you write something you don't I, truly believe, you know, is it's a bit like listening to yourself on the podcast. If you keep saying so the whole time, it doesn't feel right. You kind of pull yourself up on it. And yeah, I need to get back into the habit really of um, journaling too. But... Yeah, it is. It is powerful. And I think yeah, when you're writing stuff out just for yourself, you can be a bit more truthful and honest and it's interesting what what stuff comes out from that as well that you can look at and the the parts of maybe my personality or things that that I don't like journaling that has has um prompted journaling has allowed me to understand where they come from and why those things are there to better um then help move past them and manage them so it is a is an interesting process um, on that, which yeah, can go go down many avenues on there um, for sure, and talk a long time about that. I think the other thing I'd be interested to, as a kind of final topic to touch on, is there's the old saying or the old story around you know, if you put your you have the glass jar, you put your big rocks in first, then all your pebbles, then you can fill it up with sand, mm. and magically that's how you can do everything. You do the big jobs first. Um, and from reading Oliver Berkman stuff, like the fallacy to that is it implies that you can achieve every single thing on your to-do mm. list, which isn't actually possible in the modern world. I think the idea of not just learning to say no, because that's quite easy. It's learning to say no to the things you really want to say yes to, because as other things that are far more important still than those things has been something that's um, certainly changed how I've, how I see things and how I organize my, my to-do list, which is certainly getting too granular and boring for most people on that side of things. But yeah, learning to say no to things you want to do to allow you to do the, to say yes to the, and focus on the, on the things that truly, truly matter to yeah. you, I think it's quite an important concept that certainly helped yeah, me. Yeah, yeah, 100%. Um, you know, you think your to-do list is granular. I'll screen share mine at some point, and nearly all of them aren't ticked. So, But, yeah, so I had a brainstorm on this, much like I would a blog post, just sit down with a pen and write out, what am I doing? Like, we're two years on from the decision to take a break from a, a full-time job what am I doing and what do I need to focus on? And and when I put it down on a piece of A3, it took the page of A3. So there's a job and there's a, 
the blog writing and there's a book and there's some other ideas around writing and there's travel golf magazine stuff and there 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 were just you know a dozen different things and they're all competing for time they're all different sized rocks with different sized benefits and risks and so on and um just by again that magical act of getting out on paper i was like okay well this pays the bills this is building a community and an audience this bit is the bit i love and want to do and it was only when i put it out like that i was like okay i need to edit that other book and get that done and uh, as soon as i came came to that conclusion with my wife's help she was there um brainstorming with me it was just so obvious and i've been just sitting on that for 18 months probably knowing it deep down but yeah. just not aware of it it was um yeah that was fascinating uh, mm. yeah we'll never get it all done, any other you wanted to uh yeah i i guess focus is really important so at the same time mm. so we went on holiday for two weeks to ireland and and um that was when i did that brainstorming around what comes next but it, mm. that was also when uh, I turned my phone off for 10 days and we were just, you know, playing table tennis and reading books and just kind of living like we used to live without staring at, you know, our devices the whole time. And I found that re that was like an intentional thing to do. And um, uh, I came back really determined to focus on the things that mattered now i identified what they are so um and that's a work in progress and it's difficult because we we've got stuff coming at us from all angles we're all the same in the modern world but um just i can't go and live on the side of a mountain in a cave and i, I can't go and live in uh you know um thorough's cabin in the woods but i can limit the distraction to enable me to focus on what i'm doing i'm trying really hard on that meditation again is really important there but whatever you're doing you know the way you do the small things is the way you do all things and if it's at work a project at work then i just turn my emails off if i'm here talking to you i can't see my phone there's nothing else going on here i'm trying to be here present with you and then the next thing i'll try and do that with some focus so that sort of bolts on the back of deciding what to do and then doing just that and i think that's that's a real skill and a hard discipline when we are mm. you know we live in a world of communication and our jobs and lives rely on being online and that's great you know it enables us to chat because you're a hell of a long way away ed but um <laughs> so much of technology is positive and we you know sometimes focus on the negatives too much but these things are here for us to use in a way that suits us and i think it's we're fighting against big corporations who would rather we were on our screens the whole time so that feels like a massive ongoing challenge for me but when i do it mm. when i focus and i am present with what i'm doing the results are just in a different class i think so more of that required yeah i think that that being present is so important because if you're constantly looking to the future for something else that you're looking forward to because you're going to enjoy it well when that thing comes along you won't be present to enjoy it because you'll be thinking about the next future thing that yeah. comes along so you actually no matter what you look forward to you never actually enjoy it at the time i think it's the um was it Schopenhauer? I can't remember which um, philosopher it was now. He talked about he'll only ever truly love his cats, kittens, 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 kittens. Mm. Because he doesn't truly love his cat. He loves the, the future. So that's his cats, kittens. But then that goes on forever. So you actually never truly love the thing that or enjoy the thing that's in front of you because yeah. of that. I think that's certainly what technology, when it's not used by you and it uses you, does because you're looking to the to the future yeah or more than you're enjoying projections of other people's presence that aren't there or yeah it's a it's a 
It's a dangerous thing. And I guess most of what we talked about today comes back to the same thing. We talked about a piece of professional writing earlier in the year. And simplicity is um, hard to find in the modern world, but in writing, in conversation, in just the way we structure our lives, for me, anything that harks back towards simplicity or, or remembers to prioritize simplicity seems to pay dividends. Um, uh, there's a lovely mm -hmm. Einstein quote, but I'm not going to butcher it. But um, yeah. I will have a go at butchering it. Did he say... Um, Things should be as simple as they can be, but no simpler or something like that. Einstein had quotes. Essentially, I think that's pretty, much, that's pretty much it word for yeah. word. He did, yeah. Yeah. Or at least they've been attributed to him anyway. Um, yeah. Yeah. And that's it. That, that's very true. I think we it's, sometimes we maybe try and oversimplify things. Other times we make things more complex than they need to be to make us seem smart. It's simplicity often is often is the yeah answer. and making things more complex is very often because we're thinking ahead of time so we're thinking about something and half the time it doesn't actually happen that way anyway it doesn't pan out the way you thought it was you're just anticipating life rather than living it so yeah <laughs> well to end on a final quote then as mark twain said I've known a great many worries in my life and most of them. Oh, brilliant. Happened. I was thinking, how funny. Great minds, Ed. I was thinking, who, I was racking my brains thinking, who said that? He's another one where so many things are attributed to him and Einstein. I'm surprised they had time to do anything, really. Yeah. And, and where was it? Ralph Waldo Emerson. Between those three, that's essentially every quote yeah. ever made is attributed to one of those yeah. at some point. Because they had deep focus. <laughs> yes. And they did lots yeah. of journaling. Yeah. They did. Well, a lot of those, um, a lot of the successful people who had a lot of a high output, most of the research shown that they worked for four hours a day. Yeah. Whether that's two hours and a half, it's in an hour, or however they've restructured it, but there's a high correlation between high creativity and output and four hours of high quality work per day to, to achieve yeah. that. I think if any of us, any of us are being realistic, we sat in front of a computer for eight hours, we would do no more work, and maybe less actually, than if you just had four hours broken up, however works for you to achieve yeah. that. Yeah, and the everyday point is probably really important for those people. So, you know, the Hemingways of this world, they, they would leave a sentence written, he used to leave a sentence half written, so he didn't have to worry about where to pick up in the morning. Um, but they mm. would they would just channel energy for as long as they could for a, a chunk of it, you know, a short period of time and hammer through it. And then the rest of the time was sharpening the saw or digesting the, what, what they'd done or what was coming mm. next. Yeah. I've... It's interesting. Jerry Seinfeld talks about, I thought this is a really interesting way of looking at it. He, when he's writing, he has a deadline of time. Whereas his view is most people, when they write, the deadline is there either isn't mm. one, so they just keep writing, or I'll write for four hours. I'm sorry, I'll write until, yeah, this chapter's finished or this thing's finished. You don't really know. And he's said, why would you torture yourself like yeah. that? So to set an amount of time, and no matter what, you stop writing at that time. Yeah, that's an interesting way to do it, so you, isn't it? Yeah. I think it. So I don't know if you get this when you go on holiday. So if I'm packing up to um getting ready to go to Ireland this summer and there were things on my desk in the day job and um there was quite a lot to do and the last sort of two days of that that build up to going away um both at work and at home because you know there's packing to do when I come home from the office but so productive in those last two days because I wanted mm -hmm. to leave a blank canvas behind and and sign everything off and um make sure my workload was shipped before I left the office and mm. yeah if you could um, find a way of uh, bottling that sort of urgent efficiency it'd be magical I think uh, I'm going to try that Jerry Seinfeld thing because I do have a hard stop at half six most mornings but I don't really mm. think about it so thank you Ed as a gift there you go over that well Richard it's been an absolute pleasure 
having you on the podcast again. Thoroughly enjoyed our conversation and the tangents it's gone down. So thank you for making yeah, time. Thank you, Ed. Always great to see you. And um, yeah, let's not leave it so long next time. Absolutely. And for anyone out there who's not already purchased Grassroots, then please do so. Highly recommend it and follow Richard's blog, Pitch Marks, on Substack as well. Richard, thank you so much. Thank you for joining me on this journey as we dive into the world of club management. I hope you enjoy listening to these conversations as much as I enjoy having them. If you do enjoy and get value from them, I have two small requests. Simply subscribe to the show on your favorite podcast listening app and leave a review and share it directly with someone whom you think would benefit from listening. If you're interested in being a guest on this show yourself, then you can reach out to me using the details in the show notes or email me modernclubmanagement at pm.me. In the show notes, you will also find a link to my bi-weekly newsletter that complements these conversations where you can sign up to receive these directly into your inbox so that you never miss out. Thanks for tuning in and have an amazing day. This episode is brought to you by Sweda. Sweda is the social learning platform that delivers high quality blended learning with human connection. Sweda is on a mission to revolutionize the digital learning space through restoring the critical element of human engagement that has gotten lost in online learning. The technology provides everything organizations or individuals need on one single platform to achieve meaningful long-term learning success. Using these skills helped me attain a job offer as the director of golf at Golf Digest, top 100 in the world ranked course after I completed their influence and communication courses. But don't just take my word and the 97% five-star reviews it has had on Trustpilot for it. Try it yourself. All you have to do is email david at suada.com. That's S-U-A-D-A.com. And quote, the Modern Club Management Podcast to claim your free enrollment onto the Reciprocity course to start your journey to become a more influential and persuasive communicator.